This episode of the Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. I'm Rocky Snyder, and welcome to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. This week, I get to talk to Brian Stoneberg. Now, he goes by Stoney, and Stoney is the strength and conditioning coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's the World Series champion, L.A. Dodgers, by the way. And he oversees a whole bunch of the teams, from the Dominican League to the AA, AAAs, all the farm teams. And we're just going to jump right into the conversation and get going. And I'm sure you're going to like it. Remember, please subscribe. And if you like this episode, tell other people. You can follow me on Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder. And uh, I hope you enjoy. So you're CSCS? When did you, yeah, when CSCS. Did you get yeah, when did you join the NSCA? Uh, it was back in 2008. I graduated um, from Arizona State University with a bachelor's in exercise science and wellness and then took the test right after that and then been CSCS ever since. Do they set it up so that you like some some colleges and universities actually prepare their graduates to take exams like that? Uh, do, do they have that program at ASU? Uh, when I joined the program there, it was still a little bit new to um, Arizona State University. So they were just really trying to get their feet wet more with um, the intrinsics of how they want to run the exercise science and wellness department. Um, so they didn't really have a huge layout for CSCS, but most of the, the studying that I did, I did an internship at Exos or Athletes Performance at the time um, when uh, for my last part of my bachelor's degree. And during that is when you know, any of the free time that we had in between sessions or whatnot, um, did a lot of studying there and then helped out with a lot of the staff members that were already there too. So how did you get into API? Uh, one of their old um, employees actually came and did a talk during one of my classes at ASU. And, you know, something that I wanted to, to get into was, you know, higher level strength conditioning. Um, I originally wanted to be a physical therapist. I feel like it's a lot of you know, strength conditioning um, coaches kind of start out wanting to do PT, but I started playing baseball in my first couple of years of college um, at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point and playing baseball and doing, you know, trying to get into a PT degree and then realizing it was three more years after that. At the time, it wasn't, um, you know, something that I thought I wanted to do at that young of age. Um, so, you know, strength conditioning was always a passion for me. Um, I had tore my ACL in ninth grade playing football and kind of the rehab process and getting back into to optimal performance and optimal shape was very um, important to me and really enjoyed the PT that I used back when I was in ninth grade. And that was kind of the initial drive for PT, um, but then the, the initial drive back into strength conditioning. And, um, you know, at the time, athletes' performance had been, you know, pretty popular on ESPN for their combine program. So I'd seen some stuff about it. And then he came and talked um, to our group and then kind of just spiked an in interest and applied for the position and ended up getting um, a position there for their intern of fall of 2008. And they actually had me back in spring 2009 as more of a volunteer role to help out with 
uh, their baseball groups there as well. Yeah, fantastic facility. I've, I've toured it myself and uh, before it turned into Exos and, and now it's, you know, they've exploded on the scene. So I'm curious though, do you, do you ever kind of think about, well, maybe I'll get back into school and, and pursue the physical therapy or is there a different route or direction? No, I, I've thought about it maybe 10 years ago, kind of right when I joined the Dodgers and didn't know kind of where I was going with the position. Um, but, you know, I enjoy doing what I do so much and I'd like to be around PTs my whole career. So at Exos, you know, when there, when there wasn't, wasn't any coaching going on, hang out with the ATCs, the PTs. My wife is a PT. Her uncle's a PT. Her aunt's a PT. She's got two cousins that are PTs. So, you know, I'd like to think kind of my, my overall philosophy of strength conditioning has a little bit more of a clinical side of things, more of the thought process than the actual application. Um, and so it, it helps me personally trying to bridge the gap between the actual general fitness and the performance aspect that they, they do on the field and just the finer, finer movements or, um, you know, the different intrinsics within mobility, stability, um, especially in a sport like baseball where rotation is such a um, big component, but it's also such a skill-driven sport that little things like that make a huge difference versus some of the other ground-based sports where, you know, strength is kind of the number one thing um, in baseball, you know, from one pitch to the next, a pitcher might throw 90, then he might throw 96, and it's all based off of, um, you know, the, the finer motor controls or some more performance-based side of things versus just the general fitness aspect. So how do you, I, it's really great. I like, how, how do you blend that all together? And you, you mentioned like your thought process being more clinical. How do you take that approach into developing a program when you're talking about everything being measured in millimeters or by tenths of a mile an hour? Yeah, I mean, I personally, in what we try to preach to our coaching staff here with the Dodgers as well is, you know, keeping it simple. There's a lot of philosophies and, and gurus or, or what have you that are out there right now. And you can get, kind of get lost in, in the shuffle of everything, but kind of thinking about how you blend, you know, why we're still here as a profession of SNC with basic principles, taking all the way from the left side of the continuum to the right side of the strength continuum, um, energy system development, and then just realizing the needs of the individuals and then tying all those in together. Um, and not, again, not to be clinical on the side of things, but communicating with the athletic trainers, communicating with the PTs and know what they're doing on their side of the house. That way we're not one doubling up what we do on our side of the house, but at the same time, um, we're not doing anything that's contraindicated to what they're doing as well. So, yeah, it's interesting how so many teams have such the, the same structure with their positions and their professionals, but within it, there's quite a bit of variation in regards to how they communicate with one another. When does the baton get passed over? How long do two professions hold on to the baton at the same time before one releasing and the other one running with it? How does it work with the Dodgers organization with yourself, like with the ATCs and, and the physical therapists? I know that the nutritionist will carry the baton with whomever is there, but like, how does that work with you in the Dodgers? 
Yeah. So just, you know, realizing that each person that's there has their own thing that they're really good at. And that's the reason why we're there. Um, and just the communication between everybody is first and foremost, the most important thing. Um, and we're lucky with this organization that um, there's, you know, strength conditioning is a big part of the organization and kind of almost being the, the gap bridge in between the clinical and the performance side of things and, and or being the middleman of tying in um, all the way from one side to the other. And like I said, just the communication factor of knowing what the medical side is working on, what the performance side or the on-field staff is working on, um, and just the individuality of each person that goes into it, you know, externally rotating somebody's, you know, leg or foot in the batter's box might create a little bit more space in their hip due to some limitations. We're doing that same thing for some of that might have the limitations might be too much space and now they don't know where their body is in space. So really just getting to know the athlete and getting to know all the other groups within the organization. And again, that's the, the biggest thing that we preach um, as a whole within the department and the organization is just communication um, for everybody as well. All right. Now, I, I know you got a lot of tools in your toolbox, but when it comes down to it, what do you feel like is uh, for you gives you the the most energy like or where do you find your your passion at the most when it comes to like program design or working with the athletes what what is the thing that just drives you um i think it's probably seeing the excitement on the player when they actually feel what they should be feeling you know it, it's a, a it's almost a weight lifted off of their shoulders when you've been working with them so much and you're trying a lot of different things and then something finally clicks. And then, you know, from a performance side of things, they see or things that they do um, resonate on the field, you know, and at the end of the day, it's them that are putting in all the work. We can guide them as much as we want, but they're the ones that are, that are performing and just seeing the pure joy of, you know, hitting a home run or winning a series or, you know, last year being able to be with the big league team in Dallas and in winning the world series. Like for me, it's not, it's not my success. It's the success of our individual coaches. It's the success of the group. It's the success of the players in the organization that really drives um, me to keep doing what I'm doing as well. And I've been here 10 years. And so you know, built, put in a lot of equity and built a lot of time, especially with some of the guys that have still been here, you know, Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, um, some of those, those older veterans that we do have were kind of just getting started at a higher minor league level or the major league level and continuing to see them progress and have such really good careers throughout it as well. So. I would definitely want to talk about bringing those young athletes up the ranks through double A and the minors and into the big show. But you brought up something at the beginning of your response was bringing awareness more or less to the players, to the athletes. In essence, you're looking for places that they don't have access. And as soon as you tap into those movements, those patterns, however you would like to call it, then this brings an awareness to them that they didn't have before. And we can look on the neurological level of how that connection really can be fortified and, and played into the whole kinematic sequence of throwing or, or swinging a bat or whatever. But how is it that you home in on the places that they are not aware? Like, where do you, how do you come up with that? 
So when they first get into the organization, um, whether it's a free agent, whether it's a, um, a new draft, uh, we take them through our screening process. In our screening process, um, we do kind of a multi-tiered uh, process. We use kind of a modified on-base U or TPI screen um, to kind of see how the single joints move um, and kind of identify mobility stability restrictions um, within the ankle, pelvis, um, T-spine, and shoulders. Um, from there, then we do kind of a modified FMS as well, um, where now we can take those individual joints and make them more complex. And then we do um, a performance testing aspect that kind of gears more towards um, overall total body relative strength and power. And so then we can take um, what we find in our screens and then kind of hone in if somebody lacks ankle dorsiflexion, pelvic rotation, and shoulder stability. Um, and then maybe some overall total body power will kind of hit those areas. And then any way that we can use an RNT, DNS, um, uh, you know, moving um, heavyweight, moving lightweight, using water balls, using water bags, anything for them to actually feel what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I feel like that's the, the biggest thing because when they're out on the field and they need to make adjustments, if they don't actually feel it, in a low threshold or in a more controlled setting within the weight room or a conditioning or a, or a movement running session outside, then they're gonna have a really hard time making that adjustment um, out on the field because we're not in their ear telling them, hey, you need to do this or you need to do that, or did you feel this, did you feel that? So really trying to get them to feel what they need to, and it's a process. You know, We've had guys, like I said, I've been, here 10 years and we've had guys here 10 years and, and in the eighth year, they might feel what they feel, but you know, it's that 1% every single year and guys learn faster or some guys learn faster, some guys learn slower. And, you know, you've been in this long enough that the ones that actually do feel it faster are probably the ones that are going to have more success when they're out on the field. But, you know, you do have the late bloomers that, that finally it clicks and now they're, they're performing at their highest level as well. Okay. You mentioned your screening process being part like Titleist Performance Institute, TPI, and uh, Functional Movement Screen, FMS, which are all great. Uh, of course, upper body movement is going to be open chain because that's, that's the nature of the sport, but lower body is going to be closed chain biomechanics. And I'm curious when you, you come to that, are you doing open and closed chain assessments of each joint? Are you looking at uh, ground reaction for ankle inversion and eversion, internal external rotation and so on? Or is it more having them sitting on the table with their foot off the ground and you're just kind of moving their foot? So it's, it's nice that our medical staff, their screen is pretty similar to ours. Um, the only difference is they're more table and passive range of motion based where ours is active range of motion. So then we can go and actually see between the two, okay, they might have the passive. Um, so now we can identify right away that's probably more of a um, you know SEM or stability motor control issue um, and then we can attack it the way that we need to um, but yeah I mean we take all the joints in their what their range of motion or what the planes they should be moving in so ankle we test dorsiflexion inversion eversion uh, pelvis we test um, internal external rotation pelvic rotation anterior posterior pelvic tilt um, T-spine rotation, because it is baseball and we have to rotate um, through the whole thing. And then shoulder, we go through um, internal external rotation in multiple spots up at 90-90 and down at, at zero as well, because each one 
one of those has its own specific nature, whether you're a pitcher or a position player on the swing um, through that. Um, and then we do do open, open and close chain um, a little bit through everything because there is a portion of being open and being closed. Again, you're, you're having a bat in your hand. So technically it's, you could probably consider it open and closed chain at the same time. Um, same thing with a ball um, throwing and, and being a pitcher or position player. Um, depending on the way that you look at it, you're going from open chain to closed chain or closed to open and eccentric to concentric. So, um, you know, our process is, is our process and we feel like it works for us. We're always looking to, to make it better. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, how do we keep it more simplistic? You know, we have 13 to 15 coaches, varying education levels, varying from 16 year old Latin American players that, that don't speak any English, you know, Japanese players, um, Taiwanese players, all the way up to, you know, 42, 43 year old major league athletes that have been in the game for 18 years. So it's, it's, it's hard to find a happy medium. Um, and it's all, you know, like I said, individually and, and level based as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it's great. I, I'm just kind of thinking about the, a lot of the listening audience are composed of strength coaches themselves, strength conditioning specialists, athletic trainers and the like. So it's nice to kind of go a little bit deeper into this conversation. And for me, I'm going, okay, well, if, if you find that one of your players struggles to have internal rotation at, uh, at the rear foot, the ankle complex, talus not rotating quite well, uh, and they over-exaggerate a lot of, of valgus action with their knee to make up for it, what does that tell you to do in their program? Like, how do you walk through that step going, okay, they struggle with internal rotation here. They make up it for here. What are we going to do? Uh, what are we going to throw at them in terms of soft tissue work and mobilization? And then when it comes to loading the body, what movements do we really want to have and which ones do we want to stay away from? Do you guys go through that? You must go through a thought process of, of something like that. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's all individually based and each guy responds different to it. And at the end of the day, it's, it's what does their movement pattern look like on the field as well? So you might have two guys, like you said, with the same issues that are pitchers that completely pitch um, different from one another. Um, and so then we need to treat that individually as well. And if it is a more clinical issue, making sure that we get with the PTs and ATCs. Um, to one, clear the joint range of motion first so that they can try to optimally move as best the way they can. And then we start to load on that um, relative to who they are. Um, you know, if it's a stability issue, we're, we're really not going to hone in a lot of mobility um, with them as well because they already have the mobility and they just need to be able to find that joint in a spe specific spot in a specific space. Um, and then from there, from a performance side of things or in the weight room and our movement strength stuff, we actually have um, what we call like a five phase system as well. Um, and it really just goes along kind of the strength continuum where phase one is more left side of the continuum, endurance, proprioception um, to all the way to the right, which is more uh, true power or, you know, speed, strength, strength, speed. And so we'll load them according to the screens and really anybody that lacks mobility or stability are going to kind of be on that left side of the continuum to start out with. Not to say they can't do strength work on the right side, 
but just the thought process of, um, you know, if they're doing plyometrics and we call them a phase one, we're going to really reduce the, the eccentric load or the landing on them. We might have them do a box jump instead of a, a repetitive squat jump or an overspeed um, assisted squat jump. Um, and so treating that individually and then from that from that standpoint, getting with the performance or getting with the on-field staff and collaborating where, you know, at in all reality, a lot everybody has a compensation and nobody is 100% the best mover in the world. And so how can we continue to get them to perform on the field where, and change something, whether it's foot placement, whether it's torso position, whether it's rotating earlier through their backside, um, to get out of their back hip in the frontal plane to get them in the transverse plane. So it's, it's like I said, we try to keep it simplistic, but at the same time, it gets more complex. And, you know, we find at the lower levels, the guys with lower training ages, you know, obviously need a little bit more general fitness. They need a little bit more physical maturity. They need to learn how to use their bodies. So talking to our coaches, we really hone in on the making quality movements um, more low to medium threshold type strategies versus once you get older, physically mature, you learn your body and the, the movement pattern or the, the neuro neurological patterning is a lot more there. So now how can we bridge the gap between the general fitness and the performance aspect of it as well? Yeah, I, I totally dig in this conversation. I don't know about you, but I completely geek out when we talk strength conditioning and could do it for quite a while. Now you mentioned the younger players and they're coming in in a culture that this is something I keep coming up with uh, talking to guests is that technology is advancing very quickly. And with that comes a reduction in physical movement in general as a culture. Mm -hmm. And therefore the athletes from 30 years ago uh, on average were structurally more sound and their movements were actually better than today's burgeoning athletes. So with the, the, um, the younger players right now, in the 10 plus years that you've been doing this, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that you're, you're not having to, I don't wanna say dumb down the programs, but you have to roll it back to something more basic with every year? Are you seeing that at all? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, for sure. And it depends, you know, there's a lot of cultural differences as well. So, you know, take a Dominican Republic athlete where by the time they, they can walk, they go out and they play games and they don't really have a lot of strength conditioning down there. So our main goal for them is to do the opposite of what they're already doing versus within the United States now, there's so much on social media. Um, you know, there's all these different, different programs. Everybody has their own little niche. And so a lot of the people with the players within the United States um, training age, um, they're, they're getting it a lot earlier than in the past. And so getting them to be more right side and doing more randomized activities versus the pre-program stuff um, is only going to make them a better performer as well. And a lot of it too, you know, with the younger generation, I feel like there's a lot of overthinkers where they, they see so much stuff and they're like, oh, I got to be here, here, and here. And it's like, you know, just clear your mind and, and going with the random activity and, and getting more out of that versus a lot of the pre-program stuff as well. well I got to say, that's got to be a huge challenge for you and it's yourself because 
uh, we've got all this wearable tech now, and you, whether it's Whoop or or a whole bunch of uh, yeah. velocity-based training, I mean, we've got all this stuff coming at us, making it going from simple to complex, and all the while trying to simplify all this data and all this information down. How are you doing it? It's due to some restrictions too, as the guys get older with the CBA. And, you know, once you become a 40 minute roster player, you can actually say you don't want to use any technology um, because it is tracking and um, they have it worked in, into the CBA. So, and even at a, at a younger age, again, I'm more of a proponent of really not using a lot of the technologies that are out there because the younger athlete, they have more complex issues. And with the more complex issue, we feel like you need to approach it from a more simplistic spot. So, you know, using VBT, using GPSs, um, you know, whoop bands for the right person. It's like if, if they don't eat enough food to gain weight, you know, a whoop band or an aura ring or things like that aren't really going to do a lot for the, it's a good tracker and can be good information, but is it too complex for the for the simplistic nature that needs to happen within that specific individual as well. And again, with, within the organization, having, you know, six different, seven different levels um, of varying ages, it's how do you find the right technology that fits in for everybody so that one, when they get transferred from low A to high A or double A to triple A, that all our coaches are on the same page, but all the players are on the same page and see the importance of how to use it as well. I can get that. I can definitely understand that. Um, when it comes to these players moving up over the years, you can probably look at some players and go, yeah, they're more likely to advance than others. What is it that you see, whether it's in the weight room or off the, on the field or off the field, what is it that you kind of see in those players that you can pretty much predict it pretty well? I think the first two things are number one, work ethic. And number two is just maturity, both emotionally and physical maturity within it as well. Um, a lot of it comes with, you know, are you able to keep cool under pressure, keep a level head? Um, and then just from a work ethic standpoint, like, are you willing to put in everything that you need to in order to get to the next level? And, you know, a lot of it is regional within the United States, you know, growing up in the Midwest, it's very blue collar and, and, you know, putting the work in and that's kind of the, the way I grew up um, versus some other, some other spots of the country, you know, value different things. And it's just the, what, what is um, from the region. But for me, those are the, the first two things, just the physical and the, the emotional maturity. And then after that, you know, you've again, been in it long enough where you see that, there's certain guys that that were born to be coordinated and there are certain guys that they they do what they do and they don't actually realize why they do it they just are really good at doing it and so seeing them out on the field and seeing them perform their craft it's it's pretty easy to say okay this is this is a guy that's got um, his stuff together um, versus somebody else that you know you need to put um, that extra little bit of work in for them so that they get to the spot where they need to get to. And like we said earlier, it, they might be here for 10 years and it, it might not click until year eight, but then at year eight, they're at the same level as 
um, the guy that was at that level at year one. So. Gotcha. When it comes to program design, you know, early on when strength conditioning was just being integrated into professional sports, it seems that most of the programs were homogenous for the entire team. It's like everyone has the lift aid. This is what you're going to be doing. And then somewhere along the way, it, it divided into positionals, right? So mm-hmm. this program is for the kickers and this is for the quarterbacks or this is for the catchers. This is for the pitchers. This is for the outfield and so on. And then now we're to the point where everyone has more or less individualized programs based on such things as the assessments we already spoke of. So uh, with that said, though, there's still some lifts that have transcended all of these, all of these adaptations. So Stoney, my question to you is like, what are your go-to lifts? Not that everybody has to do it, but when it comes to the weight room, what are the fundamental lifts that you're looking for? And then uh, what are your favorite accessories? What are the accessory lifts? As far as lifts, I would, there's not a, a single exercise that I would say, and it's more movement pattern based. So every time that we talk about programming and you know, I'm sure you've you've heard a lot from it, and I know you've had a lot of um, exos people on as well, looking through the through the list, and so making sure that we're symmetrical, um, making sure that everybody has a bilateral lower body, lower body push, a hip dominant lower body pull, bilateral unilateral upper body pushing, upper body pulling, um, and then how does it fit into the face system or through the screen? How does it fit into them? You know, one guy might have a bilateral lower body push in his primary or the other guy, which is a true primary. And then you might have somebody that has a bilateral lower body push in their tertiary because, you know, they lack ankle mobility and T-spine stability. And so loading them as a primary through that movement pattern is only going to make them worse or they're only going to compensate more. So trying to even out the compensations before we load them um, the way that that movement should be loaded. Um, So again, it's all movement pattern based and looking for movement quality before saying everybody has to do this, 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 and this. Everybody has to do these movement patterns because that's the way the body moves. And that's what the the game demands as well. Um, Whether it be you're looking from a bilateral lower body push standpoint, and you're looking for, you know, repetitiveness of absolute speed, or you're looking at drive leg of a pitcher in the sagittal plane looking for max Um, vertical force before they get into their frontal or transverse um, movement of of throwing so it's more based off of that and again the tool I would say is the exact same thing it just depends on where they line up and their specific needs so if it's somebody that lacks ankle mobility and we're probably not going to be loading them spinal especially in the back um, we might go more towards a, a trap bar squat or a trap bar deadlift um, a little bit more lateral load um, versus spinal load. Um, and, you know, we've luckily the last few years, you know, we've had really good success with an RPD and we've been able to, to keep a lot of, of players within our organization and really get them from the lower levels to the higher levels. Well, when I first got here, there was a lot of turnover within the front office, the coaching staff, ownership, all that kind of stuff. And so we were getting a lot of free agents. And the more free agents you get, the more stuff that they've done, whether it be with other teams, with other people in the off season. So our tools in our toolbox, we have to have every single one so that when those guys come in, like if you were a a first 
um, first year guy within the organization and you've been with five other organizations and have had 15 strength coaches like I don't know even our screening process I, I don't know anything about you I don't know what you like I don't know what you dislike and so um, communicating with with yourself and finding things that you do like and then slowly starting to turn over and see if um, hey you know have you thought about trying this it might be a better thing than what you're currently doing um, and then so like I said the, the tool in the toolbox um, we've done a lot of different coursework as an organization um, and then individuals studying on um, everything out there so um, you know, I like said we use we use anything and everything out there, and it just depends on what is best for the individual as well. Um, and I think one thing um, that we did two years ago, Franz Bosch came um, and presented to us down at Camelback Ranch in Arizona, um, and being able to take kind of his overall philosophy within um, what he does over there and in the Netherlands and with the team that he has, um, kind of elevated what we do and just a different thought process to kind of a standard American strength conditioning philosophy and different tools. So. Right on. Yeah. You, you bring a smile to my face when you talk about the patterns and not the lifts. And uh, because it's just, it's refreshing to hear that, that we're getting away from um, I will slam our own industry here. The Neanderthal mindset of just yeah. lift heavy. Right. But let's, let's move with quality and let's move with, with the proper amount of, movement at each segment in this connective chain, and then we can talk about loading it. It's interesting, you also bring up a lot of transverse action. And of course, we've got sagittal plane bilateral movement that is so biased within the weight room, and, and very little of it is frontal or transverse plane. And we can create force production forward through the sagittal and the transverse plane, but we can't do that through the frontal plane. So often we find a lot of individuals that are really quite restricted in frontal plane action or just the opposite because they're restricted somewhere else. They really have to use the frontal plane to create mass management and so on. So I guess long-winded kind of uh, reply here, but my question is like, do you look at frontal plane actions and how do you load into those movements? Are you talking like Tom Myers anatomy trains and those are the types of paths you're looking at, the PNF paths, the fashion trains? What is it that you're thinking about when, when it comes to these movements? Yeah, and, and like you said, we kind of try to create an environment where we look at the plane and the purpose of the plane where, you know, sagittal, we're really trying to look to create force, um, both absorption and production. And then in the frontal and transverse, um, really just looking to minimize energy leaks um, so that what they built in the sagittal plane, they can transfer from the frontal through the transverse. And then really just, again, finishing in the sagittal plane when they're absorbing, whether they're swinging, whether they're throwing, whether they're running, changing direction. And so, you know, again, it just depends on the individual. You know, we can talk about, like you said, fascial planes, posterior oblique swings, anything like that. Um, but really... How do you how do you go about in treating each each plane the way it should be treated? So you know we're we're not looking to throw two twenty five on your back and do lateral lunges um, to create what would be a relative strength environment in the frontal plane. We're looking at more of quality and the needs of the individual in those non sagittal planes um, just to minimize energy leaks. And like we talked about before, the difference between a 90 mile an hour fastball and 96 mile an hour fastball 
it might not be a strength or a power issue. It's just more of a um, motor control and or an energy transfer that is reducing the overall uh, performance or the overall effort that that goes from start to finish as well. And that's where, you know, one thing that I think we do well and we put a lot of focus on is the collaboration with the on-field staff and how do you take, you know, squatting or bilateral lower body pushing into med ball throws, into plyometric throws outside, into actually throwing on the mound in the game as well. Got it. Okay. I'm really getting tired of COVID questions and I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> going to not have any, but we went through it and now we're on the other side. We're going to have a whole bunch of games still left to play before we get to October. And the question is, is that any lessons learned from last year, are you applying them to this year or did things happen last year to help improve your position or what you're doing with the athletes and now you're applying them this year? Yeah, for sure. You know, as, as much as a pain in the butt it was last year with all the restrictions and then, you know, really 85% of the organization didn't play a single game last year due to COVID. And a lot of the year they didn't have access to the proper facilities or anything um, where they would actually be able, you know, if you had a guy that had strength issues and they couldn't get into a gym and all they had was, um, you know, a, a couch or, you know, food products around the house or things like that, that they couldn't lift. So um, like I said, as much as is a pain as it was, we really had to open our own thought process on how to make improvements on our athletes. Um, you know, one thing that a lot of the guys that came in this year, one, we didn't really have a whole lot of body weight issues, especially excessive body weight issues of guys gaining weight over the time, which was good, which means they put in the work. Um, during that, that COVID period, but two guys also seem to be better overall movers um, because they were restricted and they spent more time on their specific prep routines and working on either their mobility or stability or the restrictions that they did have. Um, but then, you know, not having a game, you know, I'm sure you've read online, you know, injuries are kind of high all through baseball. And, you know, even looking last year at football, there's a lot more soft tissue injuries once once the season got started and there's really no replication to um, playing in the game and seeing a different color uniform on the other side, having fans in the stands, which, you know, increases that emotional drive or the emotional aspect, which puts you to another level. Um, you know, we've talked about it a lot of, you know, what are things that we could have done to help negate the side effects of, of performance-based injuries or uh, that are happening out on the field and you know feel like we we kind of hit a hit a standstill or you know we we evaluated and said well we could have done this or we could have done this but not having you know guys not having a position coach if you're a pitcher not having pitching coach watch you for a year throw like you're going to create some bad patterns out on the field not having um, a strength conditioning coach help you through your programs physically every single day at that moment in time. Again, you, you might be feeling like you're creating good, good environments or um, good movement patterns, but you know, it's, it's the demands of the game or the demands of the game, but actually being in the game is, is a whole different thing. And the only way to throw hundred pitches in a game is to throw hundred pitches in the game. We can condition you and work on your energy system as much as we can, and we can lift you as much, but, 
actually performing the craft is is the only way to actually get there as well so was there any did, did you notice any kind of correlation between those players that went back to the family farm and those that went back to the city so to speak like you got gym strength and you got farm strength and so some of these players are from the corn belt right and they're they're going back they're they're on shutdown and they're they're just doing their regular daily routines do you I don't even know if you thought about that, but I'm just curious. Did you, did you notice anything like that? Some of the players that just went back and, and helped old Pa and Ma on the family farm or anything like that? Uh, I don't think there's anything specific. And, you know, we have all the way from the Dominican all the way up to the major leagues, we have 250 different players in the organization. So it's really hard to keep, you know, a, a close eye on every single person. And, you know, we rely on our coaching staff and everybody else. Um, to help with that as well. But I've always been a big component of, again, the blue collar workers, the farm. To me, those are the individuals that are always gonna have a little less soft tissue injuries because they have a little bit overall um, endurance um, workload and they're gonna be a little, probably a little bit more joint compromised um, mm -hmm. versus some of the other guys that haven't grown up in that environment. Um, same thing with, you know, three sport athletes like I played baseball football hockey growing up and so you have taking your body through all these different movement patterns especially you know hockey where um, it's a lot of deceleration reacceleration um, a very transverse plane um, dominated sport as well so you're hitting all the different fiber types and all the different directions that go around um, so you know I've always like I said been a big proponent of what you did earlier in life or how you grew up like you said if you grew up on a farm or you grew up in the city um so i but to your question i wouldn't say that there's um one subsection of individuals that we saw less through it's it's more based off of um what they had access to if they're able to throw ibps to other people were they able to get into the gym and, and prior injury history as well so Gotcha. All right. Speaking of hockey, side note here, we got Tampa Bay Lightning that just beat Montreal Canadiens last yeah. night. Uh, I, I'm not a Tampa Bay fan. And when it comes to hockey, football may be a little bit different growing up in New England for obvious reasons. But, you know, when it, who's, who are you siding with? Do you want the Canadiens or do you want the Lightning? I mean, I would like to see the Canadiens just because they were the, the last team to get into the playoffs and, and uh, actually being more of a purist from Minnesota and seeing a a northern team win the cup versus Tampa Bay, which you know exactly. playing, ho playing hockey, hockey on the beach. Yeah, playing hockey on the beach is is a is a yeah. little strange. And so the Minnesota Wild lost in the first round. So I was a little little disappointed in that. But I mean growing or living in Phoenix now, I've been down there for 12 years and there's so many transplants from the north that, that live in Phoenix now. And so hockey um, is actually really big um, relative in Phoenix is compared to same here san jose right over the hill here we got the sharks and it's shark territory for sure yeah. and i can't believe the the hockey town this has become it's been amazing okay stony last question is that uh just it's kind of like looking into the future and what you do not to get you in trouble with the organization but are there things that you would like to see like are there things that if there was a wish list for you in your position and, and so whether it be tools or or approaches or anything else, are, are there little things in the back of your head like, oh, man, if we could just start doing this, I think this is going to be one of those defining moments. Truthfully, I don't think so. Um, you know, what, what we do right now, I think, is really, really good. 
And the thing that's holding it up is every day is different. Um, and we could say that this is going to be the changing factor, but it actually might only change today where tomorrow it might not change because tomorrow might be a day game or again, the different levels you have. Um, each level has its own individual that has their own needs. And so it's how do you find the middle ground and how do we, how can we continue to refine the process, not only every single day, but every single year um, to kind of continue to be where we want to be as an organization. And again, that's the hardest part in baseball. Like I said, it's, I mean, it's been raining in Tulsa for four days since I've been here. And one day we had batting practice, the next day you didn't have batting practice. Um, you had early work, you didn't have early work, you're going to play a day game here in a few days. So, um, you know, even when you get up to the major leagues, being in LA, you're all the way out West. And then the team just traveled to um, DC to play the Nationals today. So now you just sat on a plane for five and a half hours. And so, you know, the, the, the pattern that, you know, your third baseman was in two days ago versus the pattern that he could be in today is completely different. So how do you negate the side effects from travel, hydration? You know, you're getting to the pretty close to getting into the dog days of summer. And, um, you know, hydration is a, is a huge thing. And going from Phoenix, where it's 120 degrees and 2% humidity, to going to St. Louis, where it's 100 degrees and 90% humidity. There's so many changing factors that, um, you know, it's, it's a daily process of how to get the guys ready to perform. And so... Um, like I said, I don't think there's one thing that I would say. It's just continuing to refine the process that we've been going after for the, the 10 years. Um, and then with the new, even with the new draft class coming in in a week or so, you have the draft. And so now you go take that new draft class and you have college, you have high school, you have major D1 colleges, you have lower level D1, you have D2 guys. So it's learning those guys and then trying to educate them and just restarting the cycle over and over again every single year. Well, that's a lot to consider. So, yeah. yeah. And All right. Very, very gray. Not a whole, not a whole lot of black and white in there. Not at all. Yeah. Talk about juggling or herding kittens and cats, man. You got your, you got your work cut out for you for sure. But it, obviously you guys are going in the right direction. You won the world series last year. You're in, pretty decent spot to start moving up the ranks there and, and get yourself back to where you were last year too. So I, I wish you guys well, especially being a, a Sox fan. And, uh, you know, when it comes to national league, you guys can have it as far as I'm concerned. Although all my giant fans and A's fans around here may, may kind of argue that, especially the yeah. Giants fans. But um, if you do you accept interns, by the way, like you did an internship at Exos or athletics, uh, athletes performance Institute, does the Dodger organization do something like that? We did have uh, an intern program where we did accept interns and then do do some budget cutbacks from COVID. Um, we actually um, kind of liquidated the intern position, um, but we're always open to chat. And then hopefully with things normalizing out and getting back to, you know, fans in the stands and, and you know, being able to make the money that we need to, to, to rehire um, people within the organization, hopefully that, that process um, restarts again because you know like for me um, you know going to Exos and actually worked at Exos after um, my intern position and, and seeing how the importance of you know it, it's an internship but it's more of a job interview 
Um, that way, you know, if it's a lot of our employees that we do have or had in the past were former interns and, you know, seeing their work ethic, seeing how they react to the game of baseball, the players, and knowing the organization, um, it's an easy entrance into. Um, and like I said, it, by the time they get here, um, hopefully they've had kind of a, a refined process in, in a decent education level. And then they're learning what we do within the Dodgers organization. And if it's a fit, we'll definitely look to, to hire those individuals as well. So right on. Well, this has been great. I, I want to thank you for your time and uh, just wish you good luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, I appreciate it as well. So we're actually doing uh, two years ago, we started um, our own Dodger um, performance symposium. Um, and so due to last year for COVID, we weren't able to do it, um, but we do have an online symposium that we're going to do. It's kind of kind of be our level one symposium that the something similar that we did to back in 2019. And so that's actually going to be out um, at the end of July. And we're going to kind of do over online through Zoom. Um, so we went and shot the practical sessions um, a couple of weeks ago at Dodger Stadium and we'll go on and do um, we'll do the PowerPoints and more of the, the classroom setting and play the practical sessions after. And then we're going to be doing an in-person session at Dodger Stadium, kind of getting more revised level two um, at the beginning of December too. So if anybody has questions or, or anything that we do within the organization, we, we kind of dive in and, you know, we don't really have a whole lot to hide um, as far as what we do, just because every situation is different, um, whether it be front office, players, any of the other restrictions that people might have. So like I said, we're an open book and, and we're glad to help educate. And at the same time, it's it's not only just us educating the people that are there, but it's people that are there that are educating us and just trying to create um, more of a um, more of a profile for, for the organization. So if we have players that live in Fresno and somebody from Fresno who has an off-season facility comes um, you know, we have those lines of communication open. We'll definitely recommend um, our players to go to that training facility within the off season. Or, you know, we had people from from a lot of different colleges come, and so they they see what we're looking for from our side of things. So that way, they can educate their got people on how um, pro ball might be when they get drafted. And so there's a little bit more of a seamless integration um, when they do get drafted as well. And then again, learning from from them and seeing what they do and, and how we can make our process better as well. Oh, fabulous. I'll make sure I get the information from you to, so we can put it down in the description below the, the podcast and uh, people can sign up for the symposium. That sounds like a great thing. Well, awesome. It's Tony. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I want to thank Stoney for coming on and sharing what he's been doing with all the Dodger athletes. In fact, I want to thank the Dodgers organization for allowing him to come on and, and do just that. And next week, we've got Coach Carlisle. That's Dwayne Carlisle, former strength coach for the San Francisco 49ers as well as Purdue University. And he's a fantastic speed coach as well as being one of this year's presenters for the Perform Better Meetings of the Mind. So we're going to talk about that next week. Be sure to tune in and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Tell others if you've enjoyed the show, tell even more. We'll see you next week.